In John chapter 4, Jesus describes the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verses 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now for the next few minutes, stay tuned to worship in spirit and truth with Pastor Jeff Scoggin. Gracious Father, I invite your spirit to be here. Help us today to be able to put aside any other thoughts, especially thoughts of conflict or anything like that. Let us just come together before your throne to worship you, to adore you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Something I enjoy doing is imagining extra information than the Bible gives us in, in the stories. For instance, you know, I, I realize that what I imagine may be a, a long distance from reality, but I like to imagine what it was like for Jonah to actually slide down the throat of the fish. I think I preached that sermon here once a while back, right? <laughs> I like to imagine what Daniel's night was like in the lion's den. The Bible tells us what the king's night was like. It doesn't tell us what Daniel's night was like. Was Were there any lights in the, in the lion's den? I highly doubt it. So it was probably pitch black. Did Daniel spend his night backed into a corner wondering if God was really keeping them shut or if they just weren't hungry yet? Or was his faith so strong that he used them for the lions for pillows and foot warmers? I prefer that one. I like that idea. One story I never imagined until somebody suggested the idea was what were some of Jesus' thoughts when he created Adam? When he was forming Adam's hands, did he pause and think about what one day those human hands would do to him? As he formed Adam's lips, did a tear trickle down his cheek as he thought about what one day those human lips would say about him? Jesus knew it was all going to happen before Revelation 13.8 speaks about the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He knew from the beginning what the consequences were going to be. He knew from the beginning what human beings were someday going to do to him. That being the case, what must it have been like in heaven as the time finally drew near for Jesus to come to earth and face us in all of our cruelty? What must it have been like? What kind of events took place in heaven? Did the Trinity get together for one last meeting and say, okay, Mary is prepared. The angel has been there. Her heart is completely open to the Holy Spirit. Jesus, it's time. And what did Jesus feel at that moment? Here he was, God. Omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, in charge of the entire universe. And he was about to set aside his divinity. 
He was about to set aside his place among the Godhead. He was even about to set aside his mind and his memory. What must he have felt like at that time? He was about to become a tiny set of cells in a woman's womb where he would begin to grow as a human infant. How did he feel about it? And how did the angels feel? Could there have been some sadness on their part? After all, they understand much better than we do what Jesus gave up in order to come and be with us. Did they feel anxious about the outcome? Because what God was doing was risky. Whatever concerns they had, though, I, I think they must have also had a sense of joyful anticipation. Maybe like parents who were sending their children overseas to a a dangerous and distant mission land. You know, there would be some mixed emotions going on there. (laughs) At At one time, they're feeling frightened and sad that their kids are going away. On the other hand, they're feeling pleased and proud of what their kids are going to do. And the gift that the people there are going to receive in receiving their kids. So the angels must have been happy for humanity. They must have been glad that creation gone wrong was about to receive this unprecedented gift, an unimaginable token of God's love. The God of the universe, the King of kings, Lord of lords, was about to become a human being. Never had anything like this been considered, much less done, that the human race, the fallen human race of all races should receive such an incredible honor was completely beyond anybody's capability to grasp. Because of what God did, the word human suddenly took on a significance in the universe that will never fade away. God demeaned himself to become human. That is is absolutely astounding. Someday in heaven, I think we are going to be embarrassed at how easily we accepted this incredible idea. So what did happen in heaven those final days, those last minutes before Jesus left? Did heaven throw one great last party, a going away party for Jesus? Did the heavenly choir preview for him the song that they would sing at his birth? Was there a feast? Were there any tears as Jesus said goodbye to everybody? Did angel after angel come up to Jesus and say, if there is, if you ever need anything, just say the word and I'll be there. And how did he leave? Was there a final chorus and then Jesus kind of faded away? I don't know. I'm just human. But nine months later finds God inside of a teenage girl bouncing along a dusty road going to Bethlehem. God didn't know where he was. He didn't have the capability to know. God didn't know who he was. He didn't have that capability either. 
all-knowing God had become a clueless human baby. As Joseph searched for a room that fateful night, the angels must have been stunned when innkeeper after innkeeper turned God away from their door. Was that the first clue that the angels had that earth was completely not expecting God to arrive? God had sent his royal news release a long time before. People had plenty of time, it's just that very few had taken the time to read it, much less understand it in its full import. In Bethlehem that night, in a cold, dirty cave, probably, surrounded by awestruck animals rather than awestruck people, God was born. God was wrinkled and red, and I suppose not ready to win any beauty contests. That's what Isaiah says, after all, right? He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. God, the one who had so recently been all-powerful, the God who created the universe, the God who kept the stars and the planets in perfect order, gasped for his first lungful of the air that he had created. And then God, who created babies, let out his own weak little human cry. Incredible. Angels, I think, were fit to be tied in heaven. And when God finally gave them their cue, they sped to earth. Their orders were not to find the priests who spent so much time talking about the Messiah, interestingly enough. They were not to seek out the royalty of earth. They were not to seek out the elite or the intelligent or the good-looking or the popular. God was looking for something else. God was looking into the hearts of men to see who was willing and able to receive and believe the incredible news that God had just become a human. Most were not willing or able, even among the priests who daily sacrificed and participated in ceremonies that pointed to the coming Redeemer. Even they were not prepared. No one was prepared. Not that we could point fingers. Are we much different today? I mean, we think back on the story and we think, well, I would have gone. But would we? Would we really? Did you know that God arrived here? At church today, just like he does every single week. And I suspect that he never comes in a minute late. I suspect he doesn't even arrive on time. I have a feeling that he's here every Sabbath in the early hours waiting for you. Just as God set a time for Jesus to come and visit planet Earth, he set a time every week to come and meet with you and me here. It's a special time. Now, sure, it's great to be with a friend or two. That's always fun, and God enjoys that as well. But it's something else when a whole group comes together in your honor, isn't it? And that's what Sabbath is. It's a group celebration in God's honor. 
Is it just another day for us like it was for most other everyone in Bethlehem that day? Because it's not just another day for God. God's people didn't recognize the time. Even though the prophecies had foretold it clearly for those that are willing to study it. They had the outward forms down. They had that done down well enough. They went to church. They did their devotions. They followed the rules. But their hearts, God said, were far from him. So God passed them by. And he went on to others. Turns out the ones with ready hearts were shepherds. An insignificant occupation if you ask the priests and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Yet the shepherds were the ones that God knew were ready to receive the wonderful news. Even as the angels approached, these shepherds were sitting around their fire on the hills surrounding Bethlehem and they were talking about the Messiah. They were praying for His arrival. And the angels were about to answer their prayers. The angel's light, as bright as lightning, blinded the shepherds. And so the first thing the angel said was, don't be afraid. Good reason. Don't be afraid. Luke 2, 10. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Great tidings that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, a feed trough. God, lying in a feed trough. Unable to hold back any longer, the angel choir exploded forth in their praise. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I can't wait to hear that song the way they did it. As soon as the angels had faded away, the shepherds sprinted to Bethlehem to see this thing that the Lord had told them about. And searching the town, they finally found a stable where God was lying in a feed trough. And that didn't disturb them. They worshipped Him as their Lord. God, who had before received the praise of Billions, trillions of the most talented, adoring beings around the universe was this night met and welcomed by a few dirty shepherds. And God was pleased. And Jesus would have been too had he had the ability to understand who had come and who had not at that point, he too would have been pleased. He would have been overjoyed that the shepherds had come because Jesus had not come for the sake of those who were clean enough. So that We can say amen to that. Jesus had not left heaven for the sake of those who deserve it. Jesus didn't leave glory only for the theologically orthodox. Jesus came for absolutely everybody. Absolutely everybody. The lowlier you are, the sicker you are, the guiltier you are, the more messed up you are, the more Jesus came for you. Say amen. amen. Thank you. Don't ever let anybody tell you otherwise. When God came to earth, He gave up the highest position of authority in the universe to come be with you. 
He suffered every kind of abuse, insult, guilt, pain, and ultimately death. Why? Was it because God the Father said, you've got to go? No. He came because he wanted to. He gave up everything for one reason and one reason only, and it is because he loves you. Not talking about humanity in some sort of a general sense, but just you. And He doesn't love you only after you get your act together. He doesn't love you only after you get yourself cleaned up. He loves you just like you are right now. Now, of course, He wants to help clean you up. He wants to help stand you back on your feet. Of course He does. But He accepts you just like you are right now, no matter what. The shepherds weren't the only ones who were ready. There were others whose hearts were open to the Spirit of God. One of them was an elderly man by the name of Simeon. The other was an elderly woman by the name of Anna. Like the shepherds, the two of them had been waiting intently for the coming of the Messiah. They knew the prophecies. They knew the time was near. Tells you something about the Scriptures, doesn't it? They knew the time was near. The prophecies had foretold it. Simeon had been told before, before he passed to his rest, he would get to see the promised one. And to that end, he spent his days in the temple watching every baby that came in for dedication. God had commanded that every firstborn male should be consecrated to the Lord. If Simeon was going to see the Son of God, the temple was going to be the place that he would find him. He knew that. Simeon wasn't yet there yet, though, when Jesus arrived. Mary and Joseph took God to the priest. And the priest saw just one more baby with poor Galilean parents. Now, had they been wealthy and influential, the priest would have taken some notice. I mean, after all, that's who God was going to send his son to, wasn't it? Wasn't it? But the poor and humble, they merited no, no notice. Surely, surely the Holy Spirit must have spoken to the heart of the priest. Trying to get through. But the priest's heart was hard. It was calloused. He couldn't get in. So he missed the still quiet voice. As the priest completed his routine, Simeon walked into the temple. Scanning the people there, his eyes fell on this humble family and he received the instant impression that this was the one for whom he had been waiting. Simeon's heart was practiced in sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Without hesitation, like someone in a trance, he approached Mary and took from her arms God. And he pronounced a beautiful blessing, which is still preserved for us in Luke chapter 2, verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Anna also had a heart sensitive to the Spirit of God. She too spent her days at the temple. 
And when she heard Simeon, she was immediately impressed and she believed the impression that this was the Messiah and she confirmed Simeon's testimony about the child. There they were in the temple. Surrounded by people. Lots of people. Not just any people. Israelite people. God's chosen people. Church members. Church leaders. Teachers. Pastors. What should have been and could have been the most incredible church service of their lives ended up being just another routine day. They came, they did their thing, and they left, totally unaware that God himself had been among them. Are we any better today? Their hearts weren't sensitive to the Spirit of God. They weren't sensitive enough to recognize God in their midst. And so God left the temple and He quietly returned to Bethlehem. Not to return to the temple for a very long time. God continued to search the hearts of men and He found a few more who were sensitive to Him. They were far from Jerusalem, but no matter... If their hearts were open to God, then they would be blessed by news of God's arrival. These men studied the heavens and the scriptures. And the combination of that study with hearts sensitive to the Spirit of God turned out to be a recipe for amazing discoveries. They saw a new star in the east, which must have been a company of shining angels. What else could it have been? And they connected that star with Balaam's prophecy. In Numbers 24, 17, an ancient prophecy. Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will come out of Israel. Now, the connection for most people, the connection between that star and Balaam's prophecy was not obvious. Otherwise, a lot of people would have recognized it. It was not obvious. Most people... Entirely missed it. Completely missed it. But when the Magi combined the scriptures and the star with the Holy Spirit guiding their minds, they got it. They understood. So they packed gifts. They traveled to a distant country. They searched for the child. And when they finally found him, they too worshipped him. This is the time of year when we celebrate this story. How is your heart? Deal honestly with yourself. How is your heart? Are you as sensitive to the Spirit of God that when He speaks to you in a quiet, still voice, that it's not drowned out by the music or the television? Or by a heart that doesn't want to see? As we can see from the story, when our hearts are sensitive to God's leading, (laughs) the rewards are incredible. Not one of us here gathered today have hearts as sensitive as they ought to be. None of us. 
It's my invitation. It's my challenge to both you and to myself to allow God to resensitize our hearts. To cooperate with Him in resensitizing our hearts by being careful what we fill our hearts with. Let us ask Him to come in and do that work that needs to be done in us so that we won't be among those that miss the great things that God would reveal to us. Thank you for joining Pastor Jeff Scoggins today for Worship in Spirit and Truth. We would love to hear your thoughts about the program, and your financial support is also greatly appreciated so that we can continue bringing you these kinds of programs. Tell your friends they can find the program Spirit and Truth right here on this station. Stay tuned for contact information and more details from your local station to follow. Until next time, keep your mind fixed on Jesus. This is Pastor Jeff Scoggins. Thank you for listening to Spirit and Truth. Often listeners contact me or the station wanting to know how to get a copy of a specific program or more information. All of these programs are archived as podcasts, and many of them are on video as well. You can find relevant links at my website, www.scoggins.biz. You will also find books and Bible study resources there as well. So if you didn't get to hear one of these programs all the way through or missed one in a series, you can find it by visiting scoggins.biz. That's S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S dot B-I-Z.